0: Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. So, uh, With that, I don't really have a, a text, if you will. Um, we'll, we'll get into it and I'll, I'll, I'll work from a text, but I'm not going to read it from the outset as that'll kind of give it away, right? So I'll, I'll let you all be seated and uh, and we'll jump in. Um. So we are certainly in full-fledged Christmas season. I really was trying to think I was like, man, I wish I had a really creative opening, you know, and and sometimes people have these creative openings and and you know, they talk about airplanes and they talk about long runways and and I I design airports for a living. I ought to be able to have a good opening to, you know, get my message to take off and and have a really creative um, nowadays we have uh, vehicles that are called vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to vertically just go straight up, forget the runway, creative opening, and we're going to jump in. So um, with this, um, th- I did want to make sure. Of course, we're in we're in full fledged Christmas season. So I wanted to have a message that that certainly tied in. But I'm going to approach it. If you know me, you know me a little bit. This is sort of my style. I'm going to approach it from kind of a back door, so just follow me a little bit. Stay tuned, and 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 we'll see see where the Lord takes us. Um, I do want to look at the purpose of His coming. So as we weave through some different scriptures, uh, keep that in mind. I want to focus on the purpose for His coming. It's important this during this season, really during any, uh, whether it's Easter or Christmas or or whatever whatever season we're going through um even summertime it's it's important to make sure and and, and think about why we're you know what what we what we're commemorating but important certainly these reflective seasons christmas being one of those um and so i want to focus on the purpose for his coming uh, uh but i'm going to approach it from um two parables two parables which you've probably heard these parables i've heard these parables a number of times they're actually, they're only found in Matthew, and they're combined three verses. So don't, don't, don't get worried. We're not reading a whole, whole book uh, for our lesson here, but um, three verses total. I've heard them taught from, from different perspectives, um, but I've never, uh, the way I think the Lord showed it to me this week, I've never really thought about it from this perspective. So the first one we're going to look at is found in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. And I'm not sure what, um, I'm not sure what translation uh, you guys will have, um, but I, I use the new King James version, so um, if if my wording is slightly different, uh, that's the version I'm working from. Uh, But it says uh, in verse uh, Matthew chapter thirteen, verse forty-four, says again, the kingdom of heaven. So, of course, it's starting with again, which would allude to he's already made a point before, right? And so, if you've if you've ever read Matthew before, you'll soon find that really the theme of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. Repeatedly, we see these um, these parables. Um, and even just the situations that Jesus is is, um, found teaching and and things like that, Matthew emphasizes repeatedly the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying again, because Jesus has already taught um, uh, two or three parables in this passage, in this chapter so far. So he's saying again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Buys that field. And um, we're going to look at this parable first. Um, and really, uh, just to give away my title, um, my title to, uh, this morning is going to be The Man and the Merchant. So to give it away, we're going to look at the very next parable that talks about the, uh, the pearl of great price. But let's focus on the hidden treasure. It's interesting. Uh, this parable should be of, of uh, relevance, great relevance to us. If you've ever driven down a road um, outside of town, probably on your way here, you probably looked around and you were surrounded by fields, right? We are surrounded by tons and tons of seemingly endless fields. But if you've, ever, if you've ever noticed, and some of you um, might make a living off of this, buried just beneath that field is a black treasure. No, not asphalt. Not asphalt. Black treasure being coal, right? So hidden under these fields is this black treasure that's of great value. Trust me, Nighthawk coal mine would... would would tell you it's of great value, right? Many generations in Southern Illinois have made a living because of the value that is found in this treasure in the field, right? However, this parable seems to be uh, a little different, right? This doesn't seem to indicate that the treasure was, um, was naturally occurring. This treasure that we see in this parable says that it was hidden in a field, So that seems to indicate that it was intentionally put there. It's not naturally occurring. Um, And as we look at the man, it, it almost appears, it doesn't say that he's the farmer. It doesn't say that he's out tilling the field. It just says that a man found and hid. He found it. So it was already hidden. It was put there intentionally. And then this man comes along. He finds it somehow. Maybe he's tilling. Maybe he's planting. Uh, a couple parables before we 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 see the parable of the sower. So perhaps this is a, a connection to the parable of the sower. Maybe he's sowing in the field, but it doesn't say specifically. So what's interesting is that the treasure seems to be hidden intentionally, but the man seems to find it accidentally. So see, in those days, if if the man had dug it up and he'd pulled out the, the treasure out of the ground and exposed it and showed it to all his friends and said, hey, look what I found. I found a, found a great treasure. It, it's really valuable. It would, have, it would have belonged to the landowner. So he would have had to return it back to the landowner. What's interesting is that this man, he re-hides the treasure. He finds it, and then he re-hides it. And then for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So I want to I want to zone in a little bit on what exactly is this field. I think the field to me is a a um a parallel is a, a symbol of humanity. Right? And we can see this back in Genesis uh chapter 2. The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the nostrils uh into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. See, we have our we have our, our roots figuratively and, and um, ac- actually from the ground, right? We are, we are all pulled from the ground. So in this parable, I would say the field represents humanity. So then what is the treasure? I would say treasure, the treasure in this parable represents Israel. And if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number. There's nothing really special about Israel. He just had mercy on them and made a covenant with them and honors that covenant. They weren't more in number than any other people. The Egyptians at the time were actually the most powerful country. Uh, For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out. Notice this, this is gonna be a theme that's repeated. He's brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's found in Deuteronomy. If, if that sounds familiar, it's because Peter is quoting that passage when he says that you are a chosen generation, chosen generation of royal priesthood and a holy nation. And so Peter actually uh, quotes that passage. But that's a powerful passage indicating Israel is that special treasure of God. So the question in our parable then is, who is the man? And on this uh, Sunday before Christmas Eve, I would I would uh, give to you that the man is Jesus. Remember, remember in our parable that he rehid the treasure. He found it and then he hid it. He didn't expose it at first, right? God kept his covenant with Israel. But because of their disobedience, he continually in the old testament keeps leading them back into captivity due to their rebellion. It's almost as if Israel is this special treasure, but it's not quite time for them to be revealed, or for more, more uh more truthfully, for him to reveal himself to them, right? It wasn't until the fullness of time had come. We see in Galatians 4, even so we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world but when the fullness of time had come he couldn't just reveal the tr- he couldn't just dig up the treasure at any time but it was when the fullness of time had come in his ultimate purpose of time god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law notice the purpose of his coming was to redeem to buy back those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons See, the point of this of this uh, parable, I believe, is this, that God trudged through dirty, muddy humanity to redeem back his special treasure. To redeem back his special treasure. Now, if you're feeling a little left out because you're saying, well, I'm not a Jew, I'm not part of the nation of Israel, how does this really apply to me? Stay tuned. Stay tuned, okay? Notice also... In our parable, it says specifically, for the joy over the treasure. We see this again when Jesus, uh, w- when Jesus actually comes uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. We've probably heard this many, many times, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, who, for, what? The joy, right? The man, the man for the joy of the treasure, right? For the joy that was set before him, he knew he was going to purchase that treasure and buy them back. Notice this connection. For the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't be confused. Don't be alarmed. Right? Many people have misinterpreted this right hand of the throne of God as uh, alluding to a division within the Godhead. But I would, I would actually point out to you this Jesus Christ is the f- fulfillment of God's strong, outstretched arm of deliverance that's repeated in the Old Testament. Notice in Deuteronomy it said, with a mighty hand, I've redeemed you, right? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that mighty hand that's spoken about in the Old Testament. If you read Isaiah, it's a long book, don't worry. Yeah, um, it might take you a little bit, but repeatedly you'll see with a strong and mighty hand, I've redeemed you. With a strong and outstretched arm, I've redeemed you, right? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that strong outstretched arm of, of God. What's the significance of the Seating, he's seated down now because his work is done. He's completed his work, right? Now, all things are of God in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. I think that's a critical passage when we're talking about who is Jesus, what did he come to do? He has reconciled God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, this is repeated, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Paul's very intentionally repetitious in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, right? So Israel's the treasure, the man is Jesus, the field is humanity. But notice this, it's easy to read past it when you're first reading a parable. And, and honestly, I find myself sometimes doing this, especially with stories that are familiar to me. Um, you know, growing up, we used to have a newspaper. Anybody still have the newspaper sent to their house? Anybody still read the newspaper? There you go. That's my brother back there reading the newspaper. Um, I still do. I'll go into, I'll go into DG just to, just to grab myself a dollar newspaper, you know. Um, but it's interesting because sometimes you read the newspaper and you'll see a story that you already heard about, right? Like, oh, yeah, I heard about that one. You know, you kind of skim through it. But what's interesting is if you already know the outcome. So, for example, I grew up as a Cubs fan. You're right. I'm not from around here. I grew up as a Chicago Cubs fan, still am a Chicago Cubs fan. Completely useless by September. I'm, I'm still hanging on in October, right? I grew up a Cubs fan, and so oftentimes we'd get the newspaper. I'd already listened to the game on the radio. Oh, that's another that's another invention that's gone by the wayside. I would listen to the game on the radio. Yes, even even the uh, the long night games that didn't start till eight forty five because they were playing the Dodgers on the West Coast. And, um, anyways going down memory lane, but I would, li- I would listen to the game on the radio. So oftentimes we'd get the newspaper and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I, I, I knew I listened to the, I listened to the entire game. I knew all the details. So why, you know, but you could miss things as you're reading. Sometimes we do that with parables, right? And I think this is one of those key notes, this, these key, one of these key details that we miss sometimes when we're reading parables, it's like, Oh, we, I heard I've heard that parable a thousand times. Yeah. The, the man found the treasure. He goes and buys the treasure because it's worth all that he has and great value. And Okay, all right, next, next parable. Notice this detail, though. Notice this detail. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that treasure. No. He goes and buys that field. Right? Notice he didn't just buy the treasure. He bought the entire field, right? So if the field represents humanity and the treasure represents Israel, sure, he came to redeem Israel. But in the process, he redeems all of humanity, right? Not only did he redeem Israel, but he came to seek and to save the lost, everyone who's lost, right? For God so loved not just Israel, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, right? All of humanity, the field, not just Israel, the field, all of humanity through him might be saved. Notice this also, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but he's long-suffering, he's patient, he will suffer a long time. He's already suffered a long time, and, and thankfully, he continues, not willing that any should perish, but all, not just Israel, not just his chosen treasure, not just those that he's called, but all, all of humanity, the entire field, he desires to come to repentance. All right, so that's one verse. One verse, Matthew thirteen forty four. So, um, I want to I want to put those together. I want to put that one together with the pearl of great price. I think Jesus intentionally brings them together. They're often intentionally um, quoted together. They're often un- understood as basically just a, rep- a repeating of the same point. But I want to draw out a slightly different. Slightly different principle. Again, I think this parable points to uh, the purpose for his coming. The purpose for his coming. The pearl of great price, uh, we find that in Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, so again, he's talking about the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Similar, similar principle. The man found the treasure, sold all he has, buys the field. The merchant, looking for beautiful pearls, sells all he has, buys the pearl. Notice, though, it's one pearl. So that's, a, that's an uh, important distinction. Notice also, remember, the treasure in the field was seems to be a, uh, hidden, uh, hidden intentionally, and the man found it accidentally. Okay? So notice the difference here is that the merchant is seeking beautiful pearls. And then he goes and finds one pearl and buys that one pearl. Okay? So again, uh, I won't bury the lead on you here. The merchant seems to be Jesus. The difference here is that the merchant is seeking beautiful pearls. Luke 19 and 10 would tell us that for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He comes seeking. The merchant is Jesus. It's important here as we talk about this second portion is is what exactly is a pearl? Um, we don't typically have a lot of pearls around here in, in the middle of agriculture land, um, and really, I would say even even our waterways probably likely don't produce many pearls unless somehow they've come up the Mississippi. But pearls come from oysters um, there, there's different types of pearls, I suppose, but uh, we 're going to focus on the oyster uh, uh, producing pearls um, and and what's interesting is that they're created from an irritant. Within the oyster, so whether it's a granular of sand or sometimes they'll actually um, uh, pearl uh, producers they'll actually put like a little uh, ball or something um, in the in the oyster and like kind of uh, get it you know cause it to produce a, a a pearl. But what's interesting is that they are naturally occurring. The oyster will produce the pearl uh, due to an irritant that gets in there. Um, so so it's important to note. The pain that the irritant causes produces beautiful pearl. the old testament doesn't talk too much about pearls um, it, it, you know it could be depending on the the um, you know the the real intent it's not that they didn't have pearls; They just didn't value them quite as as much as they valued other naturally occurring gems and and precious stones and things like that um so they weren't of, of too much value to Jews historically. But what's interesting is that they were of great value to the Gentiles, the foreign merchants, right? So we find ourselves here in Matthew, uh, right smack dab in the middle of the um, the Roman Empire, a global uh, superpower at the time uh, that had many, many trade route, trade routes all throughout. Uh, the known world at the time, right? And so there were lots of Gentiles that were in that region, and they would buy and sell and trade with with the Jews. And and so uh, these foreign merchants, uh, highly valued pearls. Likely, Jesus um, seems to be talking. In this parable, in this section of parables, we actually find these two parables just after um Jesus talks about really the intent of why he's talking in parables um and he tells the people hey I'm 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 basically I'm speaking kind of veiled language um to to the gentiles um but I'm speaking intentionally to you disciples he wanted the disciples to know what he was talking about but nevertheless gentiles were there listening to him and so I think this um uh, I think this parable really relates more specifically to gentiles that being non-Jews right so these pearls were of great value to them. In fact, often they would they would seek out beautiful pearls and then they would present them as gifts to their king. So what's interesting? We we often focus on the pain and agony that Christ experienced on the cross. And I think that's represented by his purchasing in this parable. We focus. We 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 tend to, um, especially during Easter and things like that, we'll focus on. We make movies about the pain and agony that Jesus went through on the cross. What's interesting though is I think we often overlook the humility and the suffering that he learned in taking on humanity. That being represented by the formation of the pearl. See, it's 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 only because that this oyster has gone through this, this pain and irritant that it can even produce the pearl. Right, and so uh, the formation of the pearl, really, I think, is represented by the humility and suffering that he learned in taking on humanity, and that's really what we what we focus on during this Christmas season. I think a, a, a really good passage um, to look at that and bring that to light is Isaiah fifty three. Often we'll quote Isaiah fifty three when it comes to Uh, when it comes to Easter, we talk about the crucifixion. And generally, we'll kind of skip over some verses and we'll land, you know, at Isaiah 53, 5. You've probably heard that one. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed, right? That's clearly talking about the crucifixion. But I think it's really important if we if we step back just a little bit and if we read Isaiah 53, if we read verses one through five, we get a little different picture here. It says, who has believed our report and to whom, notice this again, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. He's ugly. Jesus Christ was ugly. And when we see him, there is no beauty. Repeats it again. He's no form or comeliness. He's not a strong, muscular king that Israel can take pride in. There's no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus Christ was ugly. That's not blasphemous to say that, but Jesus Christ was ugly. See, it's no wonder that Israel missed the coming of Jesus. Can you really blame them? They were looking for a handsome redhead like me and King David. Instead, they got ugly old King uh, Jesus, right? The carpenter's son, Joseph. The carpenter's son? No, he's not the king. We're looking for that redhead over there. Found him. Yes. Looks like King David. Yes, King David was a redhead. And yes, they were looking for that king to sit on his throne, right? But Jesus came and he was ugly. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. Notice this. Not only is he ugly, it's bad enough that he was ugly. Maybe he was even chubby. I don't know. Um. He is despised and rejected by men. He was made fun of at school. He got picked on. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief, which means he frequently experienced grief. He wasn't just, you know, oh, I've heard of grief before. No, he experienced it often, acquainted with grief, and he hid he hid. He couldn't always live out in the open. As it were, or or, sorry, we hid. We hid. That means that we were embarrassed. I read that as he hid. He probably would hide from some of those uh, uh, being despised and rejected. But not only, what's worse is that we as humanity, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him he came unto his own his own received him not john would say right this is what this is isaiah and this is isaiah foretelling what the experience was going to be like surely he has borne our griefs notice this is very dark this is uh, you know somebody said hey you want to go you want to go live in in a, in a certain area and um, you're going to be ugly you're going to be a tender plant nobody's going to like you you're going to be despised and rejected you're going to be acquainted with grief. They're going to hide from you because they can't stand to talk to you and look at you. and They're embarrassed of you. He didn't get the, uh, you know, we did not esteem him. You know, he didn't get the recognition at school for being the smartest one in school, even though he was. Right? But they didn't give him any awards. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows we esteemed him stricken smitten by god even god didn't want him seemingly right and afflicted and then we get to verse 5 right so all of that darkness all of that all of that pain and agony is even before the cross that's what jesus experienced in everyday life he was ugly people hated him couldn't stand him right notice that negativity long before the cross. Uh, notice this in, in uh, Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. The King of kings and Lord of lords took on the form of a bond servant. In his sovereignty, he's king, he could do whatever he wanted. He he can he can do what he desires, right? Sometimes we miss that part about a kingdom because we live in a democracy and we're not supposed to have kings and it's the will of the people, right? But God is king. When you call him king of kings and lord of lords, you're you're proclaiming his sovereignty. You're saying, God, you have all authority in this kingdom. You can do whatever you want to, whenever you want to, however you want to, to, because you want to. But what he chooses to do is he, he chose to take on no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Paul would even add in Romans, the likeness of sinful flesh. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Jesus Christ. Again, remember 2 Corinthians says that Jesus Christ being, being uh, God was in him, reconciling the world to himself. This is God of a very God. This is Yahweh of the Old Testament, humbling and becoming obedient. Notice he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, so he still maintained and proclaimed his deity. But he made himself of no reputation. He accepted his humanity. Right? The formation of the pearl. He's going through this pain of becoming humanity. Uh, Hebrews would say it this way Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him. That's not a happy, rejoicing celebration. Vehement cries and tears. That's agony, right? and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, that that means that he had humanity, he had flesh on, yet he learned obedience. The God of the universe subjected himself to learning obedience, and it wasn't because anyone else made him. He willfully took on humanity and learned obedience. The creator of the universe humbled himself to the point of learning Obedience. We find that difficult to do, even in our flesh, let alone the God of the universe. By the things which he suffered, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Where am I going with this? Um, I, I, I'm getting there, right? I'm just I'm I'm emphasizing that pain and agony that he took on, just to become human flesh, just to become human flesh. Uh, Look at this. If if you put these verses together, it's it's interesting. Hebrews 2.18 and and James 1.13. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, Jesus Christ. He himself has suffered being tempted. He was able to aid those who are tempted. That's in Hebrews 2. If you look at James 1.13, it's interesting. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. Put those verses together, and you seemingly get a contradiction. But really, I think what it's doing is emphasizing God Himself in His in His in His deity in His sovereignty. He can't be tempted. There is nothing of uh, on earth that would that would make Him uh, lose control of His character, right? he can't be tempted but yet he learned and suffered temptation so that we might be saved right the process of making the pearl and then notice this other distinction as we get back to the parable notice that he went and he found one pearl to me i think that one pearl represents the church right and this is this is where it gets exciting see in in the first parable he, he found the treasure hidden in the field and he goes and he buys the entire field. So for the sake of redeeming Israel, he redeems all of humanity, right? And then what's what's more applicable to us in this second parable is the one pearl, the church, right? He's not only come to redeem all of humanity, but he's also come to redeem the church. Husbands, love your wives. This is Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Look, this is the reason why, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. The pearls were presented back to the king, right? Because they were beautiful and they were they were esteemed of great value. A glorious church, that's what God desires to do with us, right? He came, he gave himself, he subjected himself, He learned obedience in humanity, suffered on the cross, and died for our sins that we might become a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That sounds like a beautiful pearl, doesn't it? But that she should be holy and without blemish. He found that one beautiful pearl, the church, and it was worth everything he had. If we could stand and and um, our music can come. I want to close it this way, and I, I touched on this passage a little bit um, And again, as we reflect this Christmas season on his birth, you might come to this question and say, "What now? What does that mean for us how do how do we how do we how do we um how do we properly?" this is one thing I love about pastor's messages is that they're always very applicable. And, and, and I always feel like whenever pastor preaches, I can just take something he said and I can, I can immediately put it into practice. Right. Um, and so I, as I think about this, this message and, and looking at these parables, what now? I think it's answered for us in second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, we, we kind of talked about this already, but I think there's an important answering to that question, what now? What does this have to do with the situation we're in? What does this have to do with my, my day-to-day life? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 to answer the question, what now? Scripture would answer it, now then. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is, this is the call of the church, is to go into all the world to preach the gospel, right? And really, we're compelling them we're pleading with them. Remember that that picture all throughout the Old Testament of being that outstretched arm, reaching for those around us, right? Recon- be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a, The more evil the world gets, that's an easier message to sell with every day. We don't have to convince people of the depravity of humanity. It's all right there in front of their eyes. It seems like every day you read the news and, you you know, it, you used to be surprised. Wow, I never thought I'd see that happen. I, ne- I never thought I'd see a headline that said that. Nowadays, it's like, well, oh, it doesn't really surprise me, given everything we've been through, Right? So we don't have to convince people of the depravity of humanity, but it's for us, the church, to be the outstretched arm of God. First Corinthians would say it this way Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The church, the beautiful pearl that he gave all for. We're the church, where his hands and his feet were the body. I would challenge us. Being his body, let's be that outstretched arm, reaching out to those, compelling those, pleading with those. He's given us, he's committed that that ministry. That's why he came again, Second Corinthians. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not impeding their trespasses to imputing their trespasses to him, and has committed to us. He's commissioned us. He's committed to us this word of reconciliation that we can reach out to others, be that outstretched arm of Christ, reaching to those around us, compelling them, pleading with them. Come into his mercy. Come into his grace. Lord, we thank you.